I wanted to begin by um, remembering what I, my experience this morning. I went, I had the great good fortune of going to my daughter's school where she, along with another uh, young woman, also an eighth grader, were designated for this particular period to offer their eighth grade presentations, which they worked for the last eight months on. And my daughter was the second of two people to uh, present, and she presented, a, um, she presented on animal cruelty, which was really uh, not something unfamiliar to me, nor unfamiliar to me in the last eight months as <laughs> she, has, she has revolutionized our household and how we approach uh, the food we eat, the products we use, et cetera. But that's an aside. Before, before we began, the, the wonderful visionary leader of this school just paused for a moment to acknowledge the, the heartache that many people are feeling around uh, the uh, uh, separation of the families down on the border, which is a, you know, a huge news story and, and just another, another uh, break in the, in the tradition, even though people have been interned, incarcerated, uh, treated poorly for the history of our country, but never so explicitly, never as a, as a um, uh, at least since slavery or Jim Crow laws, never as explicitly um, so inhumane and heart, you know, just a lacking of compassion. And the moment she began to speak of it, uh, that you could feel in the room for this and otherwise joyous occasion, this, this uh, almost collective trembling and, uh, and the beginning of almost a collective cry. And I took note of that and just felt along with everyone and I was a little, almost a little shocked at how much of, a, of an upflow it was in my own heart, even though I had been thinking about it and it had been just tormenting me. And, uh, as the Trump administration has been since the beginning. I'll put it out there. Sorry, Trump supporters. I, I can't be, uh, uh, it's not a partisan issue anymore. We're really teetering on fascism. And it's not, you know, it's not funny anymore. I mean, it's not, I mean, it's not just a, a political issue. It's a, it's, a, it's a life and death issue. It's a, it's a heart issue. But anyway, I was a little surprised by the upswell. And then um, the first presentation was by one of my daughter's friends, and it was wonderful, and it was all about, about media and body images and the, the, the torment that it causes so many people and the self-hatred and self-judgment caused by, by our just out there uh, um, objectification of of women and women's bodies and something we've so tried so hard in our household to not be mirroring that, that back to our daughter, but, uh, but just very moving. And so in the face of this, I'm seeing these, this, this young eighth grader 
who has lovely parents. I know her parents. And she's, and she's been given what happens when, you, when you're given a, a good education and you have the conditions. You could just feel the flowering. And then my daughter spoke. And she did not include us in her presentation. She, in fact, she didn't want, she, she acted toward us as if she was completely scattered and disinterested. And we would mostly just get the negative things every now and then about how it's not happening or whatever. And she was spellbinding. She had completely digested this topic. And for 45 minutes, she basically just channeled with humor, with presence, took questions with presence. And I was just stunned. And I was, and when I finally uh, spoke to my wife, I just came completely unglued, just just wailing in the room with my wife. She, she had to console me for something so joyous. But I knew that it wasn't just, it wasn't just the, the, the pride that I had and the good feeling I had about my, my daughter and the education she had, but it was the contrast to what it's like for countless millions of people who don't have that kind of holding that don't have, that are separated from their parents or they grow up in, in completely unsafe environments. And, and just the heartbreak for the systemic nature of that and that the nature of our human condition and just the irreconcilable differences between those uh, like my daughter who has, have privilege and those who don't and how to have all of that live in me, live in us uh, with, with, act, with being active and caring, but the necessity to have some kind of equanimity, to have some way of being able to not be buried by our own, um, our own heartbreak and just keep getting up. And yet, you know, after that, after my, you know, heartbreak and my happiness and, you know, the whole range and uh, knowing my good fortune and knowing the fortune of these children in, on the border and so many people who are constantly in a state of incarceration, I think of the Palestinian community every day who, who literally live their lives from many from, more, from, from birth not, it's not coming through. Birth till death, uh, having never known a real sense of freedom, and how it's how in some ways the it's life goes on, and and so much of the world as we are in our own neighborhoods, oblivious to what's going on all around us. From some, our capacity for self-deception, our capacity for for narrowing our view. Uh, it's, it's hard to bear. All of it's hard to bear. Uh, but it seems like those who, who care uh, right now can't just have a broken heart. We can't just, my heart can't break. I can't just stay in confusion about what to do. I can't just lament the fact that sitting in the Dharma seat during the Trump administration is a really big pain in the ass. It's really hard. That's my version of hard. 
which I see as privileged. One of my versions of hard. But we can't just, we just can't complain. This, if there was ever, this is just from the heart, if there was ever a time to be part of the mobilization of action, of getting people, yourselves and others, to the polls, to support those people who will, who have, who lead with compassion, lead with goodwill, lead with a wide view of, of the fact that we are all in this together and not just lead for the few and not just sit in our solitude. Practice is both an inner movement, one that develops self-understanding. Inevitably, it is meant to unleash our caring. The whole point of seeing through the illusion of a separate individuality is to see the totality, totality of, our, of our oneness, of our wholeness. And I saw that, that just, just to go back to my daughter, I can see that because she, um, let's see, how can I say this? Because she's had attention on herself from her teachers, from her school, from her family, from her friends, it, it, it's, it's created in her a, a feeling of some confidence, which I didn't even realize she had. And I can see that it will translate, as in her particular, with her view of reality right now, it's translated into this tremendous passion for animal cruelty, uh, for waking people up, for enlightening people about that. So the, the care, the self-care, the care of others, it, if, we, if we keep practicing our, do our inner practice, it's not, it doesn't just end there. It, it hopefully translates into an increased passion. This is not a passive thing that we do. I've always called the, the training of our hearts and minds, I call it a kind of radical social action because it's, it's not for just for you. And I often quote the words of Sri Nisargadatta where he says, the world is the way it is because people are the way they are. And as long as people are the way they are, the world will continue to be the way it is. If we want a peaceful world, we have to have peaceful people. If we want a wise world, we have to have wise people. If we want a compassionate world, we have to have compassionate people. It's not something we can impose. It has to start within each of us. But I, I consider this group and I consider people who practice the Dharma already, to a certain degree, capable of seeing having seen through the illusion of separateness, now it's time to see how that expresses itself and not, not let fear, the fear body, get in the way. Uh, I'm open to any ideas, of, and I'd love to hear from any of you about what you're doing that, is, that can really make a difference right now, that can stop this, this slow-moving train 
that seems to be heading toward uh, fascism. It's, it's really, um, it's kind of a slow-moving nightmare. I don't know, is that just me? Can I, I, I'd like to pass the mic, if you don't mind. My wife and I, whenever there's an election, we get out and go to whatever state looks the shakiest. And so it's either going to Nevada, Arizona, um, uh, possibly New Mexico. Uh, to get out the vote. So we knock on doors, we work on the phones, and uh, stay there for as long as it takes. Beautiful. Thank you. Go out to states that, where it looks shaky. Anyone else? Noemi. I do agree voting is very important. And I've always voted. Um, and I get cynical. But I always vote in honor of Fannie Lou Hamer. Do people know who she was? She was a um, sharecropper from Mississippi. And she spoke up in the 1964 Democratic National Convention when African Americans were left out of the caucuses. But I also, voting is very important, and I also think that doing something locally is equally important. Um, and building community. And this is what I think that Sangha is about, and hopefully in the coming years we could brainstorm. We did have a, um, a service committee that kind of didn't go on, but if people would like to do something community-wise, I'd be more than happy to listen to people and their ideas and see whether or not we could get something started and have it, have it based in, in our practice. So that's Thank you. a vision I have. You know, also as we're passing around the mic, just to feel free to include whatever is in your heart since, you know, there is a lot, there is a lot brewing and so we don't often create a space for that, but why not? This is a that makes me think of something else other than what I was going to say. And so if I could say two things. So what you just made me think of is um, my friend Gozda, who is a, um, Turkish woman who came here to study at the um, Art Institute five years ago. Her visa has run out and she has worked on getting a new one and was recently denied. 
after spending $7,000 of law fees. And so now she does have another lawyer who thinks they can get it uh, for more money, of course, but not as much. But now, today, she was to go home to Turkey. She needs to leave the country. And she went to Oakland to get on the plane, Norwegian Airlines, and was told by the people at the desk that she couldn't go without a visa for the stay in Oslo that night in the airport, just those hours in the airport. So she's just lost $750 of fee airplane ticket and can't go, can't stay. What a predicament, you know? That so she just came home this afternoon, so I'm feeling horrible about that. I'm so sorry. But then the other thing I wanted to mention about the voting is that I've been working with a, a group called the California Clean Money Fund. And maybe you know about that. And right now, we're working on an open source paper ballot voting system for the city of San Francisco, the county of San Francisco. And um, a couple years ago, the supervisors um, gave 300000 to get that all started. So it's all, there's a plan out there. But now $3 million is needed from the city and 9 from the state in order to make this thing happen. And what this would do for us is keep us from having to rent our voting machines from these three major companies who I believe are all, you know, they're not really to be trusted. And none of our voting is really completely without glitches and things going wrong. This, because it's open source and it's, it would have, they say it'll have a thousand eyes on it, um, it will also be able to be used by other counties all throughout the state plus the whole country. Great. If this works. But now we have to get the money. And um, I didn't bring my papers with me to get signed. Please, next week. Next week I will bring them. And I hope you will think about this and help us make this happen. Because this could be the bottom line, I think. Excellent. Yes. All the way in the back. Thank you for carrying the mic. Um. Yeah, so while it, while it may seem we're slowly inching towards fascism, um, I think our upcoming midterm elections this year are going to be massively important. Yes. Um, especially in areas of the country that have, have flippable districts. And so <clears throat> an organization that, that um, I used to work for, and some of you may already be familiar with them, they're a long time, San Francisco... A progressive organization called Global Exchange actually just used to be located here on 16th and Mission. That's right. Um, their newest campaign is something called Town Hall Summer, and what they're doing is they're organizing events throughout the country in some of these flippable districts, raising issues in town hall-like formats um, on issues that are important to, to people there, um, and that includes some events at uh, along the border in, in Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. So. Um, and they do have a deep ties to um, the Mexican community, Central American community. Yes. A lot of those, a lot of people are coming from those countries, fleeing fleeing war and poverty. So, 
Um, if anyone is interested, check it out, globalexchange.org is their website, and they take volunteers and donations. Um, so while voters here tend to, you know, sometimes our, our votes, um, while they are important, um, they tend to go a certain way, and That's they're right. probably more important coming up in these flippable districts across the country. That's so. right. Thank you. Thank you. Global Exchange. I work with uh, Palestinian and Arab American communities, being a Palestinian, and um, what's constantly upsetting for me is that my tax money, everyone's tax money, goes to kill my people. And people are so overwhelmed, they can't deal with homelessness or things that are local, um, but the, the footprint of killing Iraqis, Afghanis, Sudanese, Palestinians, etc. It just goes on and on. It's just, it's, it's heartbreaking and I, d I don't know how to motivate people and I'm not um, the best frontline person, you know. Um, mm. Yeah, so I, I always wonder how can your average American who has access and privilege do something about it. You seem like an incredible frontline person. <laughs> I, I always feel that you, so much, whenever I see you, so much heartfulness and just a presence about you. So don't let anybody tell you you're not a great frontline person. Thank you. I'm, I, anyway, I don't, so. I don't <laughs> conform. I, I'm, I'm not like one of those academics. A lot of my friends do that, but I, it's not yeah, my thing. Yeah, but you've got so heart. I, I get emotional and then I become a stereotypical, angry, emotional Palestinian and <laughs> it just goes down in a circle. So I, I stop doing the talking well, with you know, people I think because 95% of them will never change anything. They just want to, Just know, vent. Yeah. Yeah. I did the dialogue group for a short minute and no one wanted to do anything to take steps other than donate mm. used clothing and computers when I'm like, give us our land back. Don't, don't give yes. us your hand-me-downs like we're... Yes. You know, so, so that's, mm. um, that's always heavy on my heart because this is a community that's immigrant, refugees, and, um, you know, my grandfather came here in 1910 and served in the military, and my mom graduated from Mission High School, and, um, you know, and not, it doesn't matter what religion people are from, but, you know, Jesus is from Palestine, and the first Christians are Palestinian, and the first Christian state is Armenia. So, and I come from a Christian family, although I don't differentiate myself from another Palestinian. So I just want to say that um, if you could take action, call your Congress people, there's so much stuff. There's teachers that are under attack at San Francisco State, Rabab Abdelhadi, um, and who started the Arab and Islamic Studies Department, the Zionist movement, they took her to court. They lost, they're appealing the case. Hatham Bazian at UC Berkeley, who was the president of San Francisco State in, I don't know, 90 or 91, who's an amazing leftist activist. Berkeley, so, so they're attacking and they, they get professors fired. One of my best friends is a professor in Chicago. Um, so it's just any, Zionism is so strong and, and you know, I'm all for Jewish people to have a homeland. 
just don't take my homeland and kick us out and, and killing us slowly, whether we're getting you know, any press or not. So it's just, um, it's a big story. It's, yes, it's a big story. It's and it's one story. of the biggest wrongs happening in the world today. Agreed. That we are paying for. So we have blood on our hands. That's right. We have blood on our hands. Thank you. Please. I had a, um, a conversation with um, some friends that are conservative, and um, we had a, a person who was in our house, and he was Muslim, and he was gay, and we had a chance to talk, and they were surprised that uh, they did not, they, they were asking about the 40, 42 virgins and the, all, all these uh, things that you hear from Fox News, and they were shocked that none of this stuff was really real. Uh, so it was very interesting when you're sitting down with some people who are conservative and um, and they had a chance to speak to somebody who was actually Muslim and actually gay <laughs> and they had a little bit of understanding and at the end of it it was kind of interesting to see that they might have moved a little bit in, the, in, a, in a certain direction. I don't know whether it was mm. uh, completely but it's just having the very, very small conversations might be enough to um, move the move indicator the a little bit with some of the, the conservative friends. So I just Love it. put Love that it. little glimmer of hope there. Yes. That, uh, with, with an experience, they can also be moved in some way. Thank you. And, you know, that's where it's, um, it's such a reminder that you know, the first line of the Dhammapada, the compilation of the Buddha's teaching is hatred never ceases by hatred, by love alone. And, and I just noticed in my own mind just an, a kind of creeping, increasing moments of ill will, of anger, of, and almost projecting on anybody who I think is, uh, who is ignorant or unconscious or who doesn't, who, who I just, Ill will, ill will, ill will, until it becomes uh, until it becomes a mental habit, and then I become part of of the narrowing of my consciousness. Just as the, so we can see on an individual level how we can become part of the narrowing, and the the isolating, and the the loss of that big heart that in, that includes everybody. When I thought of that when you spoke. I just happened to have this with me and I wanted to figure out where it would come in tonight, but it's, this is fr from the um, 27 verses on mind training from, from Prajnaparamita. It's an old mother of the Buddhas. Anyway, this beautiful line says, so sensitive an ecology is the interdependence of all. So sensitive and ecology is the interdependence of all that the slightest attention and assistance to others creates the moral, moral elevation for ourselves and humanity, while the slightest indifference or neglect toward them creates moral harm for ourselves and our civilizations. This one's the one that got me. The faintest spark of ill will toward other beings can burst forth into a terrible forest fire consuming vast expanses of sympathetic joy. 
even the faintest negative reaction or malicious wish open wide channels throughout our entire being for life-destroying passions, poisons of negation, and life-obscuring shadows of self-cherishing. We get even more isolated in our own internal uh, reactivity. So making gestures of kindness, uh, not letting ourselves fall into those uh, objectified views of our ill will, you know, just... And it's really been hard during this season of our lives. And then um, the other thing that I, I think in terms of just in general, it, what's actually helped me find a little equanimity is keeping a very long view. And this really is part of, a, part of hills and valleys in the tradition of humanity and I don't know if I, I I don't see it in in the narrow and the immediate, but the Dalai Lama is absolutely convinced we're getting better. Um, and who knows? So what could go on unknown is now in the light. In fact, one more thing before I take a few other comments. I've been reading this one passage from. Francois Fenelon for years and years. And it, I often read it in the middle of a, of a meditation retreat. And I've often referred to it as something one realizes in one's own mind stream. And, uh, and as I read over it tonight before the group, I saw that this is really more of a collective understanding, not just an individual one. So try it on for the collective and then you can relate it to your individual on your own. As light increases, and that's, that's things being out in the open. As light increases, we see ourselves to be worse than we thought. We are amazed by our former blindness as we see issuing forth from the depths of our heart a whole swarm of shameful thoughts and feelings like filthy reptiles crawling from a hidden cave. We never could have believed that we had harbored such things. And we stand aghast as we watch them gradually appear. But we must neither be amazed nor disheartened. We are not worse than we were. On the contrary, we are better. But while our faults diminish, the light by which we see them waxes brighter, and we are filled with horror. Bear in mind for your comfort that we only perceive our malady when the cure begins. So if you think of that as, as our own awakening, our collective awakening, uh, this is, it, it's one small way of saying it's good news. Uh, so anyone else wanted to make any comments please hi hi um, to me I really hate the, the tribalism of this season as you call it where it's us versus them and I hate the concept of them it's us it really is it's us. It's just one us, yes. And uh, I went to help the victims of the fire because I have a big truck. And uh, 
you know, when people's houses are burnt down, there's no politics anymore. No. People are just one. That's the, That's right. the beauty of disaster. Yes. And uh, for me personally, I think evil is like really rare, like true evil. I think that for whatever reason, people have come to the decisions they've come to, and sometimes it looks really bad, like with the, uh, with the miners down at the border, but I don't think it was an act of evil. I think it was some really, in my opinion, bad logic that somehow led to this, this system. I don't think there's anybody trying, I hope not. And uh, you know, we were all caught by surprise, I think, here in the Bay Area when Trump won. But I personally believe that we created a really toxic environment where Trump supporters were closeted. Anybody who even was toying with the idea, it was just shunned. You couldn't even bring it up. And so there was all these people that came out to vote and we didn't see them because we didn't create an environment where we could talk about it. Well said. Thank you. Thank you for your voice. Going along with uh, what was just said, I have a family in Kentucky and West Virginia who have uh, worked in coal mines. Um, when I go back there, we always meet in the church. And of course, you know, when I first went back, which was several years ago, I thought, oh my God, this is going to be right out of. Uh, one of these horror movies, you know, about Kentucky and the inbreeding and what have you. Um, but these folks in the, that I met in the church who were cousins and long lost uncles and things uh, just took us in like we were family. I mean, these are people who are now voting for Trump because of their work. There is no work at all. What there is is a lot of drug dealing in Kentucky, and you see these young kids just burning up with heroin addiction and what have you. But, um, you know, and what really opened my eyes was just how they didn't hold any grudge against us from California. I thought, oh, we're here in California, you know, from California with our big airstream and blah, 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 you know, and they just took us in. They all met us out at this park, um, the Daniel Boone Park in Kentucky. Uh, they came in in a big station wagon to meet us, and this one cousin who I'd never met held a stack of letters from my mother, who I never knew, and gave them to me. Last but not least. Oh, yeah. Okay. So thank you, Andy. Thank you, everyone. Uh, we're, there's just us. Thank you very much. So even though we didn't uh, solve anything, we spoke uh, and hopefully 
that you came back a little bit to yourself. Uh, and hopefully that will help uh, galvanize your capacity to serve and, and to live your life well and with love and less hate. And, and may our practice tonight and every night be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of us, of all of us, uh, with no one excluded. Uh, yet we, we still do need to keep our eyes wide open and stop this, uh, this train in one conversation at a time, one community at a time, um, and everything we can do. Anyway, thanks for being here and thanks for your practice. Thanks for your generosity and hope to see you next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.